Good morning, church family. It is good to be with you all this morning. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And while y'all are doing that, I'm going to show you some fun pictures on the screen. Rick mentioned this as he was singing. Last night was the daddy-daughter black and white ball. And uh, White's Ferry Road, we're a frontline church. We got kind of a country vibe going. I don't know if you can feel that. But last night, we really looked professional. So this is a picture of the Fellowship Center uh, right here. Uh, our church staff and volunteers decorated this to capture the hearts of daughters in our church family and from the community. Um, one of those pictures, this is the Fellowship Center, uh, a little bit closer to the stage. Give me a slide or two back, guys. One of those pictures was the table setting. Now, if you look at this picture, you're going to notice that those tables are set in the foyer that you walked through to get to this auditorium. And what you also probably noticed is that those tables were not there this morning, which means we had a team of volunteers and staff uh, busting at what probably felt to them like all night to set this up and make this a beautiful event for dads and daughters and then tear this down so that you guys and I could worship here this morning. There's a picture of the menu uh, probably there. I don't know if you guys can go back there. Yeah, there it is. So the meal was catered in by Miss Kay's Sweets and Eats. It was fantastic. I haven't met many meals that I don't like. You can probably tell by looking at me. Uh, but Miss Kay's did a fantastic job. I want to take a second to offer our appreciation and thanks to every staff person and volunteer who was involved last night, would you please stand if you were involved in the daddy-daughter black and white ball? Just stand up for just a second. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for making that such a precious evening. That's my daughter and I's second uh, annual attendance at that event, and we have loved it every single time. So if you haven't been, come the next time we offer one. Um, and if you get the chance, man, please, please be in attendance. This is a picture of our whole group. I don't know if you saw that earlier on the screen. Um, there's a couple of really um, not so handsome guys in this picture, but because their dates were so beautiful, all of these guys looked better than they normally do. Uh, it was just a fantastic evening. So I'm glad to be with you this morning. I, I, I do want to tell you uh, some things have happened in the United States of America in the last week that have really weighed heavily on me. I'm not going to talk about those on the front end, but I am going to talk about uh, some things that have happened in our great nation in the last week uh, that have moved me. I was actually almost in tears uh, driving to church this morning just thinking about uh, the state of our union, the United States of America. And ladies and gentlemen, we live in a nation uh, that, that I know we say this a lot and, and we're probably saturated with it, that desperately needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that. I want you guys to be praying for me, uh, as I preach this, I want God to move our hearts in the hearts of each person who ever sees this sermon. I, I, if I had to title this message, I would title it, follow me with the right heart, follow me with the right heart. I was praying uh, this week about some of the things in the United States that moved me and God led me to Matthew's gospel. I thought I was going to end up preaching from Matthew chapter 11 and I read Matthew's gospel a couple of times and God really clearly led me to Matthew 9. 
So if you have turned with your Bi- turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 9, I'm going to read for you Matthew 9, cha- uh, verses 9 through 13. I've got the uh, verses also for you up on screen here. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There's a few things going on in this text. We see the heart of a man named Matthew. This story is also told to us in Mark chapter 2. This is told to us also in Luke chapter 5. And this man's heart before his encounter with Christ... And after his encounter with Christ, looked different. We also see the heart of a group of religious people called the Pharisees. And we see the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so all this is going on. I was thinking about this and praying about this. And I thought about that phrase, Matthew was sitting at his tax collector's booth. And I thought, what a tragedy to have a heart that is a sitting down type of a heart. A sitting down heart. Here's a prominent guy who in his time would have been known all over the little community of Capernaum. Uh, at, At the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, tax collectors actually sent bids to the Roman government and offered a certain sum of money for the right to be a tax collector in their little area. And when these guys were given that right, essentially they could charge whatever taxes they wanted to charge and they'd scalp some off that and pocket it and send the uh, promised amount to Rome. So these kinds of individuals would have been really sitting around comfortable, almost comfortable to the point that spiritually they were dead asleep. And if I'm being honest, I see Matthew as the kind of guy that I was before Jesus Christ transformed my heart. The kind of guy who would say, I have all the answers and be trying to tell everybody that I know what to do in life. Not because I actually knew what I was doing, but because I knew I didn't know what I was doing. And wanted to convince not just other people, but myself that I had it figured out. Matthew would have been the kind of guy that wanted to convince people he had it all together because deep down he really knew he didn't have it together and he didn't have the answers for the big, deep, important questions in life. So he was seeking comfort with all the kinds of things that made him feel more empty. Material wealth, popularity, prestige, power, all the things that the world promises are going to fulfill that you and I know by experience because it's true that all of those comforts eventually just make us feel more empty inside. So he's got to keep feeding that void in his life with material comforts to the point that it just lulls him to sleep. One of our scripture readers this morning read Matthew chapter 16. I want to remind you of verse 24. 
You and I were designed to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's in our design. And bearing the burden of a cross is not a comfortable burden. And the reality is you and I weren't designed for comfort. We were designed for battle. We were designed for the kind of purpose that calls us out of our comfort zone into a grown zone and getting really active and getting really dirty and getting really nasty on the front lines of life. I want to just tell you, Matthew wasn't there. This was the kind of guy who was very self-absorbed and self-centered because he had to be because he was so empty inside. The more empty we are, the smaller our world gets until eventually the population of the earth, as far as we're concerned, is one. It's us. And that void in our life grows so big that we can't focus on anything other than filling it up. And so we become self-centered and selfish and arrogant and narcissistic. And if you're judging me for the way I fill my void, shame on you and you're wrong and I'm right. And it's not my fault and you're just judgmental. And I'm going to do what makes me feel good because it's okay. And don't, don't infringe on me. And, and the more, no doubt, he heard of Jesus' preaching. Jesus just preached the Sermon on the Mount not far from where Matthew's tax-collecting booth would have been set up. No doubt the more Matthew heard the rumors of Jesus' teaching and that Jesus was healing paralyzed people and that Jesus could calm the storm and and that Jesus made the lame to walk and, and the blind to see, he started to hope a little bit but wouldn't let himself out of the prison of the world he lived in with a population of one. And I I really think because of how quickly Matthew could throw a party, he had to definitely draw a lot of artificial strength from the group he hung around with. This, This was the kind of guy who had to hang out with the healthy type of an attitude. And can I just say, you have too and so have I. And the reason we want to hang out with healthy people is because it's easier for us, come on somebody, to deny that we're sick when everybody around us is pretending to be healthy too. But man, when we get around the sick people and they struggle with some of the same stuff we struggle with and they do some of the same things we do and they think in some of the same ways we think, we have to go, man, I'm as sick as they are, so I want to hang around with the self-proclaimed healthy people, with the people who seem to have it all together, that live on the right side of town and know the right political connections and have the right friends and do the right things because if they're healthy and we think the same and do the same things, I don't have to face the reality I am a sick and broken and messed up sinner. That's a sitting down part. This guy is sitting around at his tax booth, which would have been in the center of town, and every poor person that walked by that had been exploited by him, no doubt he looked down upon arrogantly, self-centeredly, and thought, man, I'm glad I'm not like that person. That's sad that so many of us were, and, and, and Trent at least, still struggles with being like that in some ways. But Jesus is content to meet us 
where we are at. Praise the Lord. And just because Jesus knows Matthew is a messed up, sick dude who's in denial of the void in his life, of the sickness in his life, of the sinfulness in his life, Jesus doesn't avoid passing by where he knows he's going to find Matthew. And I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is not passing by where he knows he's going to find you. Whether that's in the casino, Jesus is willing to pass by there. Whether that's in the crack house, Jesus is willing to pass pass by there. Whether that's in the darkness of night when you're struggling with depression and feeling like life's not going to work, he's willing to pass by there. If you're at the divorce attorney's office or the bankruptcy attorney's office, the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to pass by there because he wants to replace your sitting around heart with a rise up heart. And I promise you, he will strengthen your ability to rise up If you'll respond with the same kind of attitude Matthew does. Jesus walks by and says, hey man, follow me. What's Matthew do? I want to read that to you again. Jesus walks by and says, hey. He walks right by the tax collector's booth, which is where Matthew's sitting. Verse 9, he told him, follow me. And Matthew, listen listen to the reaction here. Listen to this guy's response. He gets up. And he follows. That's a rise up attitude. I want to tell you some things that a rise up attitude does that that Matthew demonstrates, that Jesus himself demonstrates, that are really critical for us. When we follow Jesus, we want to follow him with a rise up and follow type of a heart. First thing. Now, all of a sudden in Matthew's life, he's not so self-absorbed. He's not so comfortable and he's not so self-centered. The needs of others become his priority. That's because a sick heart that's been healed starts seeing value in the needs of others. A sick heart that's been healed starts seeing value in the needs of others. Do you see others' needs as valuable? Or do you you see others' needs and get a little grossed out spiritually? The truth is, if you get a little grossed out spiritually, probably you're trying to hide yourself from the fact that some of those things are still true about you. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 42, Give to the one who asks and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. If somebody asks you to go a mile with them, go a second mile. Look at the needs of other people around you and see value in those needs. That's the heart that rises up in the United States of America, in the United States of Louisiana, and in northeast Louisiana right here in West Monroe. That's the kind of attitude we need. A heart that sees needs and values needs rather than runs from the needs. And it's a big inconvenience to see a need and meet the need. I promise. And that's the kind of viewpoint that a sitting down heart has. It doesn't want to be inconvenienced. Man, a rise up heart says, I can't wait to go the second mile. No doubt the opinions of others begin to matter less to a rise-up heart than God's opinion. A rise-up heart doesn't need affirmation and approval of others. 
doesn't need to win the popular vote to fill that empty void within it. Because that void has been filled by the Lord Jesus Christ and the view of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That heart has an attitude that says, I know if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it. If I try to do what's going to gain me man's applause or man's approval or man's praise, I know those things are going to cause me to lose my life. But if I really lose my life and stop worrying about man's applause and approval and praise and instead just start worrying about the praise of God, I know if I'm willing to lose my life on those terms, my life will be saved. What would it profit me if I gained the approval of every man on the planet and lost the approval of the Lord God? A rise up heart says, I'm going to follow Jesus even if it cost me my life. A rise up heart says, I'm going to seek the sick, not hang out with the healthy. That's what Jesus says in Matthew. Now, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous. I don't want to hang out with the healthy. I don't want to be friends with the people that have got it all figured out. I want to seek and save the sick and the lost. I was hanging around with a guy who was in Bible, Bible college. This has been about 10 years ago. True story. And the guy was talking to me. He said, Trent, I, I feel like i got a real clear calling, man. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. What, what, what do you feel God's calling into? And he said, I feel real confident God's calling me to minister to the upper middle class. <laughs> True statement, guys. True statement. He said, you know, I know, I know I'm going to work at a mega church. Um, I know it's going to be somewhere in a metropolitan area. Most of the people will probably be affluent and educated. And I stopped him right there and I said, I want to tell you two things. The first is get thee behind me, Satan. Because okay? as those words are coming out of your mouth, I'm feeling a, a stirring of the Lord myself. Okay. And the second thing I said is, you know, all joking aside, what, what, what does the New Testament say about that? What does the gospel say about that? And here's the truth. It's so tempting to interpret the mission of Jesus as hanging out with the healthy. But that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to be the front lines church that White's Ferry Road really is and to seek the sick because those are the people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. This teaching is so important that Jesus doesn't just teach this to us one time. As a matter of fact, the only time in the scriptures that Jesus uses the same Old Testament passage, he actually quotes Hosea 6, 6 here. The only time in the scriptures Jesus uses the same Old Testament passage two times to the same group of people is what we're about to read. He says this same exact thing in Matthew chapter 12. Turn with me in your Bible a couple of pages and let's go there. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew chapter 12, but he expands the teaching because obviously Jesus knows that the group to whom he is teaching does not understand the lesson he's trying to communicate to them. The Pharisees ask him when he's eating with Matthew, they say, why, why, Jesus, do you eat with these 
tax collectors and sinners. And he says, it's not the healthy who need a physician, it's the sick. You need to really figure out the meaning of Hosea 6.6. I don't desire a sacrifice, I desire mercy. So Jesus gives this teaching and, and, and some things happen. I can't go into it all. But then later in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gives the exact same teaching. I'm going to give you a, a couple of scriptures. I'm going to read a little bit of God's word because I want you to get this. Okay. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His, his disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat with them. When the Pharisees saw this same group. Same people he tried to teach this truth to, this idea of, I don't desire sacrifice, I desire mercy. They see him picking grain on the Sabbath and they say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Jesus says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. This wasn't lawful for them to do. Only priests could do this. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, here's Hosea 6, 6. Again, we just read this in Matthew 9. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned The innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now he's going to expand this teaching. He's told him again, you guys aren't getting it. You're focusing too much on the sacrifice. I want you to focus on the mercy. It doesn't matter if you gain the whole world. If you lose your soul, you've gained nothing. It doesn't matter if every man on the planet sees your good deeds. Because if you get your praise from men, then you've already received your reward. Instead, let no one see your good deeds, and then your Father in heaven will richly bless you. Jesus is going to expand this teaching, and listen to what he says. And this is the core of what it means to be a disciple. This is the core of what it means to follow Jesus with the right heart. Going from that place, he went into their synagogue. You talk about turning up the heat. This guy goes to the place where these people be hanging out. We're like, man, who is this guy? He picks grain on the Sabbath, which is not lawful. He's healing people on the Sabbath, which is not lawful. Like he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. Well, he just goes right into their synagogue. You talk about a rise up heart. This guy, Jesus goes right into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Listen to what Jesus says. This is the core of this teaching. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? And I want you to underline verse 12. This is just what hit me right between the eyes this week. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep. Let me read that again. How much more valuable is a man or a woman or a child than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, so often in our life, we want to live by sacrifice. 
So often in your life and mine, I want to live by sacrifice. Sacrifice really says I'll prove my love to God. I've got a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and 6-year-old in my house right now. And they are being um, versed and trained in the competitiveness of American culture. And the competitiveness of American culture says you compare yourself to the person next to you. And if you're better than them on the basketball court or on the football field or your GPA is better than them or your test score is better than them, then, then you're good. And so, so we live in a way trying to prove we are good enough. And we transfer that onto our relationship with God. And we say, I'll prove my love to God. I'm going to give up food and I'm going to fast. And that will prove, because of that sacrifice, how much I love God. Or we say, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to give my money to the church and to ministries and to the poor. And that sacrifice will prove my love to God. Or I'm going to give of my time and I'm going to sacrifice my time. And that will prove my love to God. And God says to us, I don't need more food in my kingdom. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need our money. God is outside of time. He doesn't need our time. We don't sacrifice for Him. He has everything He needs. We sacrifice because our heart is deceptive and it's evil and it will get wrapped up in the things of this world. We sacrifice to keep ourselves from falling in love with what is here and what is seen so that we can stay deeply in love with what is not here and what is not seen. And that's the type of attitude that says, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to rest in my own strength. This is where Matthew 11 came out in this sermon, which is, again, where I thought God wanted me to go for this whole entire lesson. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me if you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you've been trying to exercise your own strength to find some rest, you are going to be restless for the rest of your entire life. And sacrifice to prove your love to God will keep you more restless than just about anything else. Because you can't prove something that is already true. And as a matter of fact, the more you try to prove it, the less you're likely to believe it. But if you'll just allow God's strength to be your rest, and you'll rest in the love He has for you, then you'll find rest for your souls. Why? Because His burden is easy and His yoke is light. If you feel heavy, burdened in your spirit, it's likely because you're living by sacrifice and God's saying you don't have to do that. This is also the type of lifestyle that says I'm safe. I checked off the boxes. This is not a box checking type of religion. This is a heart transformation way of life. Let me give you the words from Isaiah Chapter 1, 
I've got these on the screen for you. There are a few places in Scripture where God teaches us He's not interested in our sacrifice. He's interested in our heart and asks us to sacrifice in the areas our heart is most likely to become entangled. But it's not to prove our love for Him or to gain His love as much as it's to discipline our heart into submission to the Holy Spirit and keep us from falling in love with things here on earth. Let me, let me, let me give you this. This is from Isaiah chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to close here in about 45 minutes. Guys, just hang with me for just a second. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible says this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? You gave 10%. You gave up your Sunday morning. I got it. Okay. But I have more than enough burnt offerings. Of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Isaiah goes on and talks about this theme. I don't need your stuff. I don't need your sacrifice. I need you. I want your heart. I want your life. When God has our hearts, when our lives and our minds are aligned with His love for us, when His love reigns in us, Then we fully realize the life He's called us to. He says in verse 17, skipping down, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. In other words, think about the sheep. And isn't a human more valuable than that? Plead the case of the widow. Verse 18, I don't have this on the screen. I want to read it to you. Come now and let us settle the matter. This is what's important. Wow. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We don't need to live a life of sacrifice. We need to live a life of mercy. A couple of thoughts here. The first is, mercy says God loves me. Where are some sick people I can show God's love to? Mercy says, loving people is the greatest form of worship. This is Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips. The Pharisees who live a life of sacrifice, they honor me with their lips. Matthew 15, 8. But their heart, the heart of mercy, the type of heart where the love of God reigns supreme, the type of heart where that love moves us to love and show mercy and show compassion on others, That type of heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules about sacrifice and measuring up and proving their love and checking off the boxes. And Jesus is saying, I don't want that kind of a heart. I want a heart that sees the love I have shown you by my mercy and through my grace. And because you're overwhelmed with that mercy, I want you to be merciful towards others. And when we live like that, we save lives. That's the lifestyle Jesus is calling us to. Mercy is about not giving people what they deserve. Church, you and I are on a mission to make disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus. I want to read this to you. On January 9th, 2019, the New York State Legislature submitted the Reproductive Health Act to New York State government to be passed. You need to know this. The bill was passed in the past week. 
This last week, the Reproductive Health Act was passed. I'm going to read you Article 25, Section A, under the subheading Abortion. This is taken directly from this bill. I read it. It's only six pages long. Here's what it says. Promise I'm going to close in just a second. A healthcare practitioner, this is the big change. A healthcare practitioner licensed, certified, or authorized under Title VIII of the education law. In other words, this person does not have to be a medical doctor with hospital admitting privileges. Can be any kind of a, a, a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, um, any healthcare practitioner with a licensed, certified under Title VIII of the education law, acting with his, within his or her lawful scope of practice, may perform an abortion when, according to the practitioner's, according to what? Now listen to this. According to the practitioner's reasonable and good faith professional judgment. Based on the facts of the patient's case, that person may perform an abortion within 24 weeks from the commencement of pregnancy. That's a late-term abortion that's now lawful in the state of New York, not just to be performed by a medical doctor, but any healthcare professional with a license. Or there has to be an absence of fetal viability or the abortion is necessary, listen to this language, to protect the patient's life, and here's an important phrase, or health, as judged by that particular professional. So here's what this bill does. It gives just about any medical professional the right to abort a baby after 24 weeks of gestation for any reason they deem necessary for the health of the mother could be psychological health, any kind of physical health. It's, it's such a wide array of reasons. Can I, can I tell you, church, this is a tragedy. This is an unbelievable tragedy of our time. And I wanted to say this to the camera. And you guys operate and the camera can zoom in. It's a really important part of the sermon. And I need you guys to stand behind me while I say this. To anybody who is watching this sermon... I want you to know that White's Ferry Road Church at 3201 North 7th Street in West Monroe, Louisiana, loves you and loves your baby. And I got this whole room full of people standing behind me who are saying, we're going to help you. Maybe you were at a party and you drank too much and you did something outside of your full awareness, and you're pregnant. We love you and Jesus loves you. Maybe you sacrificed your boundaries because you so desperately wanted to feel love, and now you're pregnant. We love you and Jesus loves you. And we love your child, and we want, you, we want to help you. And I want to challenge each person under the sound of my voice to step up with a rise-up heart. A rise-up heart, not a heart that sits down, And not a heart that lives by sacrifice that just says, I checked off some boxes, now I'm good. We are not going to solve the abortion crisis in the United States of America if we don't get on mission as a church and love God and love others and share Jesus and make disciples. we got to rise up and live in mercy 
and love people where they're at. What motivates us, I was talking to one of our guys about this last night, should be outrage. And I thought, what am I outraged about? I'm outraged about a couple of things. The first is that people who know better and are not doing better, and that's mostly the New York State Legislature. Life begins at conception. There's no question that that's a different set of genetic code, that that's a living being, um, that that's a human being. And I'm mad that people who know better are not doing better. The second thing I'm outraged about is my own self. For having a little bit too much of a sitting down type of a heart, of a heart of sacrifice, and not a rise up heart, a heart of mercy in this situation. And I'm a little bit frustrated in myself again because as a, as a minister, it's my job to, to provide some guidance and direction and mobilize us as a family. I want to mention two things and then I'm going to close. The first thing I want to mention is at White Street Road, we support a ministry called Project 2.5 Plus. i got a slide on the screen. Get involved with these guys. Ann Bartley is sitting right back here. Courtney is sitting right back here. Uh, these guys have been through the foster to adopt process. This particular ministry is established in this community to help families who have fostered a child or are adopting a child and need resources. Get your heart in the right place and get involved with this ministry. The second ministry I want to mention to you is Embrace Grace. Uh, Don Smith, I've been looking for you, Don. I'm not sure if you're, uh, she's here. Mark's saying she's out back. So she's here somewhere. Uh, Don Smith runs this ministry. I've, I've been involved in a, in a situation with this, a pregnant lady being domestically abused. I, I don't want to just be pro-life on the pulpit. I was talking to a lady who's being domestically abused. She was pregnant. Don says, Trent, the guy is here. We've got to get this guy away from this gal and get this gal to safety. How dare us to just say we're pro-life and not support this young lady? She's overwhelmed. She's terrified, basically homeless. And so it, I got involved and we were able to get this lady to safety. Whether you know that or not, church family, you're supporting these ministries a little bit already. I want you to do some more. I really do. And we can't uh, necessarily go march in New York, but we can march right here in northeast Louisiana. Sunday, uh, January 27th, that's today, uh, in, in West Monroe and Monroe, at 2 o'clock, um, the, the Louisiana Life March. That was on our um, overhead announcements this morning. I hope to see you there. And I don't know what burden it is you're carrying in life, whether you can be involved in these ministries or you can't. You can be on mission right here at this church. This is a call to action today. And I pray God has moved on your heart. And when we offered ladies in that situation to support them and told them we love their children, we better back that up with action. And I'm prepared to do that. And I hope that you are too. If you're carrying a burden that would interfere with that commitment or God's inspiring you and you just want to say, Trent, I want to get involved and come before the church and pledge that commitment before my church family. Whatever it is you need this morning, I challenge you to come forward. I'm done. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And I want you to respond if there's a need in your life today. Let's bow. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you. Uh, God, I am so thankful for your word that you came to rescue me when I was sick and dying. And I asked you would help me to have a rise up heart and live a life of mercy. 
and not just check off boxes, but really love people because people are valuable and life is precious. And I ask that you'd help our church to be inspired to do the same. I pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Stand with me while together we sing.